Are we? Yep, there we are. Evening. My name's Luke, and tonight's Bible reading is coming from John 2, chapter, uh, verse 13 through to 25. Awesome. So, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others uh, sorry, sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changes and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build the temple and you are going to raise it again in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Amen. Thanks so much, Luke, for sharing that with you. I'll just grab a few things and then we'll make this happen, hey? Just talk amongst yourselves. Sweet. So obviously we are continuing our series in John and uh, just before we kick the message off I just want to thank those of you who've contacted us about the new format that we're doing in the evening and uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, this isn't hard and fast, it's not setting concrete but I think we will settle for something similar to what we're doing at the moment so I do appreciate feedback and suggestions on how we can tweak things and improve things so that this is an engaging time for you. Um, so we're going to be trialling this for the next um, couple of months and we'll see what we do from there. Uh, in John 1 last week, we, we touched on um, one of the things that Jesus had said to his disciples and particularly to Nathaniel. And uh, because Nathaniel believed what Jesus said, Jesus said, because of that, you will see more of me. And that was the one, of, one of the takeaways from last week. As we believe in Jesus, as we believe in the word that he spoke, we will see more of him in our everyday. And so, Jesus then, with his newfound disciples after our passage last week, goes with them to Cana and he has this wedding. And he goes to this wedding and the wedding runs out of wine. And so Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he says, what's this to do with me? But he takes it in hand anyway. And so Jesus gets the servants there to fill these clay jars with water to the brim and then he says take that and give it to the master of ceremonies he doesn't pray over it he doesn't say anything over that water he doesn't do anything else except exactly that now the disciples and the servants were the only ones that were present when Jesus did that so they knew that it was by Jesus word that that water was changed into the best wine that they'd ever had at that ceremony and so Jesus performs this miracle. It's quite interesting that those clay jars were ceremonial jars. They were jars that were Jewish um, purification jars. 
And I've always wondered why they were empty. They shouldn't have been. They should have been full. They should have been ready to be used. And I think, metaphorically, it was a symbol of what had happened to religion in Israel at that time. It was empty, just like those jars were empty. And so I don't think it's any coincidence we move into the passage that we're looking at tonight. Jesus put new wine in those jars, and he came to give new life to Israel, new life to us. And so in him, we find a whole new way of living. We are renewed. And tonight's account continues on from that point. And Jesus would have attended the feasts and the temple throughout his life. But this account that we've read this evening is his first public appearance in Jerusalem and at the temple since his uh, ministry has begun. And it would seem, according to John, and by our own reckoning, that it started with a bit of a bang. Hey, it's not how you would have possibly planned things if you were doing it. Let's pray as we get into this this evening. Father God, I thank you that we can gather here. I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for your love you pour out upon us so abundantly. And Lord, I pray our eyes and ears will be open. It's a short message, Lord, but I just ask our eyes and ears will be open to hear from you and that we'll engage with what's here this evening. We'll engage with the questions later, Lord, and your name will be honoured and glorified in our life as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, quite simply, very good. We're talking about the Lord's temple here. And of course, the temple that Jesus is at, but also Jesus as the temple and us as his temple as Christians as well. So when we compare these gospel accounts, we see that John has this cleansing occurring at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the other gospel accounts, it's actually at the end of the ministry. And there's a whole heap of back and forwards about what this means and everything like that. And uh, Pastor Daryl and I have landed in the same spot with this as well. Because there's details in John's account, which isn't in any of the other gospels. And so we believe that there was actually two occasions where he cleansed the temple. And one was at the beginning of his ministry, one was at the end of his ministry. But it really doesn't matter because the principles that are taught here are the same whether there was one or two anyway. And so Jesus comes to the temple. And we're told that the Passover was at hand. And Jesus travelled up to Jerusalem for that Passover And as no doubt was his habit, he heads into the temple, which he would have done year in, year out when he was available to do so. And the central focus point of worshipping God for the nation of Israel was this temple. This is where they came to honour and glorify him. This is where they came to make their sacrifices for the sins that they had committed. This is where those Gentiles who wanted to follow God as well also came to the temple and worshipped and glorified God. And Jesus comes in and he comes into the temple and he finds these people selling oxen, sheep, pigeons and exchanging money. And all of these things were necessary. They were things that must have happened. But it's the location of where they were which actually caused a bit of a problem. You see, people would travel to Jerusalem for a long, long way away to be a part of this feast and ceremony. And they had to offer a sacrifice. And so if they brought a lamb or a sheep or an oxen from their country, wherever they travelled from, that vast distance, there was a good chance that it would get injured or that it would get blemished, something would happen to it. And so it wouldn't be acceptable as an offering in the temple. And so the need to have um, animals that were not blemished, perfect for an offering, was required. 
Because what would happen, you'd bring the animal to someone, they'd inspect it before the sacrifice. If there was an injury, if there was a bruise, if there was a defect of another sort, it would not be accepted. And what was, what was happening here at this time? It didn't matter how good your animal was, there was a good chance they were going to find a defect for it. And so they would say, well, for a small fee, I can give you this other one and you'll be able to make that sacrifice, but we'll, we'll take this one. There's just a small fee involved. And also, the coinage in the temple, they'd only accept uh, temple coinage um, when, when you actually made your payments there, the temple tax. And the reason was, once again, a good reason, because a number of the countries where people travelled from, the currency they carried, wouldn't have the pure gold that it was supposed to have. And so they said, the only currency we're going to accept is temple currency. So they exchanged it, and there was a small fee for that. But the problem was that that fee in exchange was okay, but if you want to change from that as well, they charge you a fee on top of that. So there's all these people beginning to make money off what was happening at the temple. Now, when you consider, at, at this time, at the Passover feast, it was about 500,000 lambs were sacrificed during the ceremony. 500,000. In today's currency... These guys were making billions off this. And so the focus had shifted to the money, as it often does. And this is happening in the temple. Now, the word used here, there's, there's three different words for temple used in this passage of Scripture. The word used here refers to the temple of the court of the Gentiles. Now, you may not know what is supposed to be happening in the court of the Gentiles, but this is the only place the Gentiles could come and worship God. This is the only place they were permitted to come and worship God. And could you imagine to, coming in to pray to God, to have a moment of silence just to petition him, to praise, to praise him, to worship him. And there's all these bleating sheep or lowing cattle Birds tweeting, money-changing hands, people rushing around, the smell of urine and manure and everything like that in your place of worship. I don't think we'd be too happy if that happened right here. But this is, a, this is what was happening. And Jesus comes in and he sees this. And it's interesting, when we read this account of what Jesus did, people try and pretty it up. They, they try and say, well, that's not what really happened. But when we read this, it's quite striking, isn't it? Is this godly? The Bible says Jesus made a whip. The Bible says that. The Bible says he drove them all out of the temple. Now, either he was whipping them or he was threatening to whip them. There's no other way that he would drive them out of the temple with a whip in his hand. And so we see he drove them all out of the temple. He is considering the animals and the people looking after the animals in the same category. And so he drives the people out with the sheep and the oxen. And so he whipped them or he threatened to, one of the two. And this is our Lord, this is our Saviour, this is what he did. And then he comes to those who sell pigeons. And, and the offerings that are given, we know that you know, those who were very wealthy would offer an oxen, those who were not so bad off would offer sheep, those who were poor would get to offer pigeons or doves. 
And so these guys have got these pigeons in cages. And, and Jesus comes to them, he says, take these things away. This isn't about stopping them from earning money. He didn't release the pigeons and make them fly away or anything like that. He just didn't like where they were doing this. He didn't like what they'd done to God's temple. This was a place of worshipping God. And that wasn't happening at all. That wasn't part of their agenda. They had a totally different agenda. This was supposed to be where the Gentiles worshipped, prayed, a place of connecting with God and not a place of huge profit. It's worth noting too, Jesus says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. He's claiming in that sentence to be the son of God. And it seems to go straight over their heads. <laughs> it's really interesting though because that's exactly the charge that they bring against him in John 5.18 where they say Jesus claimed to be equal with God by saying, Jesus, uh, saying that um, God is Jesus' father. And that's exactly the charge they bring against him in John 5.18. But they are so shocked by Jesus' actions on this occasion that they don't even mention that. But Jesus is pointing at them. He's calling them out. He's saying, you are not leading as you should. They are not living as they should, these leaders. They are not honouring God, especially in this occasion. Their lives weren't right. And you should think about their actions and attitude. What message is what they did sending to the Gentiles? If this is the people who are God's chosen people, those set apart to honour and glorify God, what do their actions actually say to the Gentiles? when they're preventing the Gentiles from worshipping the very God that they say they should. Money, profit, material possessions come before God. That's the message they were sending. And his disciples remember, most likely at a much later time, that Psalm 69.9 says that zeal for your house consumes you. The word consumes can also mean destroy we need to keep that in mind as we read it as well. Zeal is that burning, consuming passion. And Jesus is indignant at what has become of his father's house. And his zeal for God overcomes any reservations or tolerance that he may have had. And he doesn't care about the consequences for his actions. He wants this sorted out. And Jesus moves as a cleansing fire through the temple. He sweeps everything before him and he clears it out. He removes that which should not have been there. And it should not have been permitted in the first place. And what is really interesting is, as we know, Jesus cannot and will not tolerate anything in getting in the way of people connecting with God. And his actions here are so incredible, so in people's face, and no one challenges him. And the reason why they don't challenge him is because they know he's right. They don't want to admit it, but they know he's right. This should never have happened. But when the leaders finally get together, they come to Jesus and their response is a little underwhelming. What sign do you show us for doing these things? In the book of John, when we see the word Jews, this is actually speaking about the religious leaders. It's not talking about the nation. It's talking about the religious leaders. So he's talking to the religious leaders here and it's the religious leaders that approached him. And uh, I don't think it's any mistake when back in verse 12, he speaks about the Passover of the Jews. This has become something for the leaders of the people. It's them that profit. It's them that get the most out of it. And the nation of Israel is secondary to it. 
And I think Jesus points that out quite a bit as he progresses with these religious leaders who from this point on seek to put him to death. They are opposed to him from this time on. These religious leaders should have been engaging with God, should have been encouraging the people to do exactly the same thing, but that's secondary. The most important thing now is the prophets. It's the return on what, on, on what they can get at this time of year. It's the financial gain. And so when these guys come to Jesus, confession and repentance would have been the appropriate response. It would have been good to see them on their knees. But instead, they ask Jesus for a sign to justify what he's just done. And it has to be evidence of their blindness to who Jesus is. As John writes his gospel, he's constantly indicating that everything Jesus did was a sign which revealed his glory. These guys would have heard about the wedding in Cana. They would have known about what happened there with the water and the wine. They would have known about that psalm where the zeal of Jesus would have driven him to do what he did. But they act in ignorance. They say they don't know. And they misunderstand why Jesus has cleansed the temple, cleansed the temple at this time. But Jesus provides what can only be considered a prophecy when he speaks to them. And he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. And the Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. I want you to understand the temple is an incredible building. Um, I've been there, I've seen the foundation stones. There's one foundation stone that they found, it's about 18 metres long. It weighs over 600 tonnes. So when they say it takes a long time to build this building, they're not joking. And, and it's so rock solid, nothing will ever conquer it. That's their belief. Nothing will ever bring it down. And so this exchange which occurs, we miss what is actually being said here in the English, but again, the Jews could not have missed it. And the temple being spoken about here is a different word again. And so the word that is being used here is a word for sanctuary. And so the word sanctuary can be used when referring to a building or when referring to a body. And so when Jesus is standing before them, I believe he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to his own body. And if there's any doubt whatsoever, we get it told to us a little bit later on that that's exactly what Jesus was referring to. He was referring to his own body. And he knows it's going to happen at the hands of these very leaders that stand in front of him. They'll destroy him or kill him. But he's telling them that that doesn't matter because on the third day I'm going to raise up again. And it's like he's laying everything out for them so when they actually do it, they'll be able to come to him in repentance. Asking for forgiveness because what he said came true. But unfortunately we know, even when it does happen, they don't do that. They don't believe him. And so the Jews are mocking him when they reply to him. They use the same term for temple here. The same term about the body. But they don't speak of the destruction. They speak of how long it's taken to build our temple. They don't really pay attention to what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying can easily be translated to, go ahead, destroy this body. And if you do, I'll raise it up in three days. They respond in contempt. You, who are you? How could you possibly do this? How will you rebuild this in three days? And most of the leaders 
miss altogether what Jesus is saying. And as I said, even when they killed him, even when they got the reports that he was raised from the dead, they refused to believe. So caught up were they in their own life and own interests. And the passage finishes with these very interesting verses. We are not told the issues of these believers. We don't know why the disciples have been accepted and these guys were not. It doesn't describe that clearly for us here. But we know that Jesus knew Nathaniel. He knew Nathaniel as a man without deceit. He could see that in him. So we know that Jesus knows the hearts of men and women. He understands people's motivation. And Jesus can test the mind and can search the hearts of all men, just as is attributed to God in Jeremiah 17.10. So we can safely say these believers appeared to follow Jesus, they appeared to be submitted to him, just as the disciples were, but their hearts were not with him. It wasn't a genuine commitment. And we know a little bit later on that so many turned away because what Jesus taught them was too hard for them to take. And that was the real test, wasn't it? Jesus knows and he can test. So what does this mean for us? This temple that would never be destroyed, would never be torn down, was in AD 70. Not one stone was left on top of another. The reason why it was torn down was it was set on fire and all the gold and everything like that ran down into the foundations. And so when it cooled and the soldiers came on and they could see, they thought that it was built on a foundation of gold, so they tore it down to get the gold. They were disappointed when they got there, but that's why the temple was destroyed. AD 70, one generation after this time that Jesus spoke. One generation. It's a passing of what was the old covenant. It's a passing of the old sacrificial system. The new system that came in was Jesus Christ. And anyone who calls Jesus Lord and Saviour received the seal of Holy Spirit. He comes and dwells in us. We are the temple of God. We are his church in this day and this age. And Jesus is zealous for his church. Think about that. Think about your life before him. If he was to come and walk through your temple, walk through your life, would he make a whip? Or would he celebrate with you? Only you can answer that. The Pharisees were originally responsible for turning Israel back to God, but they lost their way. And I need to ask you, have you lost your way? We all know that first time when we gave our life to Jesus, and I keep going back to it again and again, the scripture tells us to remember, and I want you to remember, that time you gave your life to Jesus, there was a reason for you doing that. And you accepted him as your Lord and Saviour. But he calls you on to so much more than that. He calls you on to obedience in him. He calls you on to a life to be fulfilled, lived for him. We need to reshift our focus back to Jesus. Perhaps you've been drawn away by the money, the material possessions, the status, the position, the recognition. None of that's of God. If anything takes the place of God in your life, you've blown it and you need to come back to him. You need to submit. You need to ask for his repentance and his forgiveness. So many are driven by pride and there's no place for that in God's kingdom. We need to submit fully to Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how challenging and powerful it is. And Lord, we've just brushed the surface tonight. I pray that each of us will take some of this on board, that we'll be questioning our own lives before you, Lord, and that we'll allow you by power of Holy Spirit to cleanse the temple, to reveal to us the things we've got to deal with in our own lives. And Lord, that we'll have the guts to actually do that. Father, continue to do your work by Holy Spirit amongst us this evening as we sing these last few songs. And Lord, help us not to leave tonight until we've done business with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Soul's delight No 
here from Hebrews as we close. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless one and all. Thank you for being with us this evening. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Um, we will stay and do the Q&As too. So uh, they'll be on the stage. Please come grab those, huddle in small groups, have a chat about the message, have a chat to each other. Thank you one and all. Bless you.